far from all the comforts of the familiar, we live. Uprooted, evicted, expelled, and excluded, we wake and we work and we wander in a foreign land. Exiled, longing for the sights and sounds and tastes of our true home. But we are not the first ones to wander in the wilderness. We are not the first ones to long for a home we cannot see. For there are stories of faithful men and women who wandered too, but never wandered alone, who can show us how to live a life in exile. Imagine with me for a moment a situation of great confusion and danger. Imagine you're 14, 16, 18, something like that, and you've been kidnapped along with dozens of your peers. Having lived your childhood in a very stable world with a strong family and a strong spiritual foundation, suddenly you're swept away. Soldiers load you and your peers up onto wagons and you're carried across the desert. You arrive in a grand and beautiful city, the likes of which you've never seen, you've not even imagined before. And you're brought to live in a great and luxurious palace. It isn't home, but even you would have to admit it's luxury. You're told that you're going to be trained to serve the king of this new land. You're treated like minor royalty as you're prepared for a life of power. You'll be learning from the wisest and the best in the kingdom. Trained in literature and languages and mathematics and history and political science so that you can help lead the new kingdom. You're lucky, is what they tell you. But there is one confusion, in addition to the fact that you've been kidnapped. The training that you're receiving, it's values and methods and fundamental motivations, it contradicts what you learned as a child. It rejects the wisdom of your God and your faith. It seems designed to help you make this new land your home. When you know your home, is somewhere else. How would you live in such a curious circumstance? Would you accept the, the training, the wisdom of this culture in which you find yourself that is designed to make you fit to rule in a foreign land? Or would you try to live in the ways 
of your true home. How do you live when you are aware of a path of goodness and blessing? When you're aware of a path that honors God and leads to joy. Yeah, you're aware of the path. But everybody around you seems like they're following a different path. Loudly promoting other roads and the current of the crowd is decidedly moving in a different direction from the one you once knew. So every step you take along the path of your calling seems to lead you uphill and against the current. And sometimes you even get turned around and you lose sight of the way you were going. And you wonder if maybe all these other people are walking in a different direction because they know better than you. Maybe you would feel like you don't fit in. Or maybe you start to fit in and you have this nagging sense that you shouldn't. How do you live? In a moment? In a culture? In a society? In a community? When most people are walking in the opposite direction of the way you know you're called to live of the way you know you need to walk. This is the present situation of anyone who's trying to follow Jesus. We find ourselves in a cultural situation where we are not the dominant cultural influence. Honestly, I'm not sure we ever were. I think we exaggerate the holiness of the past. I I, I read sermons that were preached hundreds of years ago, and none of them ever say, by the way, if you want to follow Jesus, just fit in with everybody else. Everybody's following Jesus. No, they all talk about this reality. So whether it's worse or not, I don't know. Maybe it's always been there, this fundamental tension between the witness of Scripture and the path of Christ and the testimony of the world and the path of our culture. Maybe it's always been there. God invites us to sobriety. And I'll tell you, right now, our culture is just super excited about indulgence of all of our appetites. God invites us to modesty and our culture celebrates displays of sexual temptation. God calls us to discipline our sexual desires and our sexual expression and our culture instead tells us to trust those desires and trust our inclinations and just pursue them in every possible way we can imagine. God calls us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hurt us. And the culture instead 
invites us to despise our enemies, to hurt those that hurt us. God's word calls us to generosity. Our culture encourages us to hoard our wealth and use it on ourselves, trust in our riches. And we could do this all day, right? We could just go on and on and on and list all the things where, where God's word says the path to blessing, the path to righteousness look like this, and everybody around us is walking in a different direction. This is our present reality. And in this reality, we, we, we react in different ways, right? Sometimes we're clear on the path that Christ is walking and we boldly follow in obedience, no matter that everybody else is walking a different direction. Sometimes we're clear on the path God calls us to, but we're swept away by the tide of our culture or the desires of our flesh and we end up pursuing some other path you know, you know, sometimes for decades, right? Uh, sometimes, though, we just lose track of the path altogether, right? We, we forget. Where were we supposed to be going? What was, what was this supposed to look like, right? Maybe we were never taught what God's Word teaches in a, about a subject. Or, or maybe we quit reading our Bibles and we just stopped being reminded of the path of Christ and the invitation of God's Word, you know? Or we hear all the other voices, the sophisticated and smart people of our culture, the geniuses of our society that, that are telling us we're fools for still following the way of Christ. And eventually we believe them. I mean, can it really be the case that our whole culture is wrong about all these things? I was in scouts for most of my childhood. I love scouts. One of the things you do in scouts is you learn how to use a compass. And we had a thing that we thought was good fun. You may not know this, but if you have a compass and a strong enough magnet and you know what you're doing, you can actually repolarize the compass so that the little arrow points south instead of north. So we had a thing we thought was funny uh, when a kid was first learning how to use a compass. Now, it was hard to get our hands on their compass so we could sabotage it. So instead, what we would do is we would sabotage our own compasses. And so the kid gets out their compass and the map, and they're trying to get everything figured out. And one of us would go up and say, dude, I, I think your compass is broken. L look at mine. My point's the opposite direction. Now, they wouldn't believe us at first. At first, they would say, no, 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 it can't be. I just bought this compass. I paid good money for this compass. This is an expensive compass. I'm pretty sure it points toward north. And that's when we would say, well, I don't know. Look at Fred's compass. His compass points the same way mine does. And Fred would come over and lay his down. And sure enough, it was with mine. And if he wasn't convinced, we were ready. We said, well, Billy, come over here. His compass is pointing the wrong direction. And Billy would set his compass down. And pretty soon, he would turn to us and say, well, I got to take my orienteering test here. Could I borrow one of your compasses? Because you're right. There's got to be something messed up with my compass. That'll happen to you when you got one compass that points north and everybody else's compass points south. I see that happen in life too, you know. Maybe somebody heard a little bit of good advice for how to organize 
their life, the path that they needed to walk with their life. But maybe nobody prepared them for just how much bad advice there was out in the world. So when they encounter all that bad advice, they they get confused about which was the bad advice and which was the good advice. I see this happen to young couples all the time. Young couples all the time, people start telling them this. This is the advice young couples hear a lot. They hear this advice. They say, you really ought ought to live together for a couple years before you get married. Because you got to find out if you're compatible, you know. Are you compatible sexually or compatible socially? Do you, do you squeeze the toothpaste the same way? you got to figure these things out so you can have a happy marriage. Uh, that advice is everywhere. People give this advice like they know what they're talking about. And, and, and something about it makes a lot of sense. It's like, okay, that sounds good advice. Except the funny thing is, it turns out that is terrible advice. I mean, first of all, it goes against what God's word teaches, but leave that aside for a second. Every bit of social research that has been done over the last many decades demonstrates, in fact, that living together before marriage is one of the strongest predictors of divorce. More than financial trouble, more than almost anything else, living together before marriage actually predicts that you're likely to get divorced. It does the exact opposite of what people say it's doing. But, you know, that's hard to believe when so many people have the same advice, you know. And and so what I want to do is I just want to prepare you. Uh, Maybe I'm especially talking to young people, but I don't, I'm not sure I am. I think a lot of us live our lives unprepared for just how many people have a broken compass. Here's what, here's the warning I have for you this. Okay, this is what I want you to, I just want to warn you with this truth. Ready? Ready? A life patterned after Jesus and God's word will consistently call you to walk in a different direction from those around you. Now, let's be clear. I don't mean that just because you're wandering off in a different direction, you're following God's word. It could be that you're just a weirdo. I don't know. That's possible. Okay. But, but I do mean what it says there. That if you are committed to to patterning your life after Jesus and after the teaching of God's word, you will discover that you are consistently called to walk in a different direction from those around you. This is true in every age. And it's certainly true today. I, I got lost once. I was hiking and it's one, it, was, it, was in a, it was a national park. It was a pretty crowded park. Lots of people are out that day. And I was sure I knew where I was going and I'd studied the map. But as I was hiking there, everybody I met was walking the other direction. And eventually, I just passed person after person. I finally decided I must be confused. These people must know where they're going. And so I turned around and followed them. Guess what I discovered? They did know where they were going. They just weren't going where I was going. That's the reason they were all walking a different direction is because we were headed to different destinations. And sometimes when, when everyone you see is walking on a different path, it doesn't mean you're lost. It just means they're not going where you were going. Maybe they're even headed home and they just have a different home. 
Or maybe they're heading to a destination and it isn't the destination you want to reach. I just want to warn you up front. I want to, I I think we act surprised when we discover this. We need to stop being surprised. A life patterned after Jesus and God's word will consistently call you to walk in a different direction from those around you, okay? And and if this news doesn't surprise you, then then tell somebody else because you know people that this news surprises. They're like, well, I don't know, that's surprising. And if we're not careful, when that happens, the chorus of voices with all their wisdom that, are, that suggest to us different paths for our life, um, they can spin us around, you know, and we start comparing our compass to all those broken compasses and, and we eventually forget which one is the compass that works right. But, but that's not what you want, okay? Because if... God is real and God loves you, then the path where God leads you is for your blessing. See that? See how that works? If God is real and God loves you, then the path where God leads you is for your blessing. And that means that those who would lead you on a different path, even if they have pure motives, they're leading you away from the very purposes and blessing of God. That's just the way that works. And this struggle is our present struggle. Trying to stay faithful to the path where Christ leads us for our blessing and for God's glory, surrounded by a world that is advising us to walk a different direction. This is our present struggle. We are not unique in this. This has basically been the struggle of everyone who has ever wanted to follow God. In fact, that story we opened with, remember the one where you imagined you were kidnapped? Uh, That actually isn't a fictional story. That's a a completely true story. Uh, We call that the exile. That's what we call it. It happened around 2,700 years ago. And the Bible tells this story from many different angles. And throughout this series, starting this week, we're going to look at some of the stories from the exile and try to learn how they stayed faithful to God in a world where all the advice they heard was guiding them in the opposite direction. And we're going to start today with a guy named Daniel. Uh, Daniel is also the name of the book of a Bible. If you want to turn there, you can. Daniel chapter 1, if you've got your Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, they're under the chairs in front of you. You could grab a Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, maybe you want to uh, look it up on your phone or something like that if you've got a Bible app. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. You see, for the Jewish people, part of God's law for them was to maintain strict dietary practices as an exercise of their holiness before God. And Daniel knew that no Babylonian chef was going to be able to cook him kosher meals. And so he made a commitment not to devile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, listen, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and they were given to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them that he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What can we learn about how to live when the call of God leads us one way and the wisdom of our culture leads another? Now, Daniel will eventually become a person of great power. One of the most influential people in the whole kingdom, the fate of nations will rest in Daniel's wisdom. But that's not where his story starts. His story starts with the simplest decision of personal purity. Not to rage against the machine, not to fight the powers that be, but just to walk in the way of his God despite the pressure of his culture and his new home. Daniel decided to live like he remembered where his new home was, while all his teachers wanted him to learn to fit in with Babylon and make that his new home. And I want to suggest to you, as we are learning how to live in exile, this is where it must start for us too with a decision to pursue righteousness, to pursue personal faithfulness in the public arena, a decision for purity rather than compromise, 
Before we start condemning the culture around us, how about we just clean up our Netflix queue? And just decide, we want to we be proud before God for the media we watch and the information we consume. Before you decide to save the state of marriage in our world, you know, you're all worried about the state of, how about you just save your marriage and love your wife and your husband, but you just start there. If you want to fight the lies that spread in our nation, you could just start by telling the truth and speaking with humility. Have love on your lips. See, Daniel has to figure out how does he stay faithful to God and pursue the path that God has given him toward goodness and righteousness and blessing in a culture and a context where everyone is pushing him in the opposite direction. All the wise men, all the powerful people, all the smart people of Babylon urged Daniel, why are you still trying to live like you're in Jerusalem? Just fit in. Live like a Babylonian and you will succeed in Babylon. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. If you go back and read the text, you'll notice Daniel made that commitment to himself before he went and asked guard for the vegetables. I assume if the guard had said no to the vegetables, he would have just fasted because Daniel resolved. Everyone around him said, Daniel, just live like a Babylonian and you will succeed as a Babylonian. And he said, that is not my destination. I can't walk the road you walk because I'm not trying to get where you're going. Listen, I know It is so hard to talk about purity, right? As soon as as, as we start talking about purity, you know, I listed some of those examples, some of those specific areas where God's word calls us one way and our culture calls us another. And just as soon as I say all those things, I hear the response of, see, I knew it. You Christians are always so judgmental. You Christians, you're always so... Here's the thing. If somebody is trying to go to the beach... They got a little fall getaway plan, fall breaks next week, and go down to the beach and get a, get, a little, get a little time at the ocean. It is not judgmental for me to observe that if you get on I-26 West, you go to Kingsport, not the beach. That isn't judgmental. That's just how roads work. And in the same way, Whenever God's word reveals God's law and God's wisdom for our life, this is always the argument. Follow God's way and you go to the beach. Walk a different path and you wind up in Kingsport. I apologize to all of you who are from Kingsport. I understand in that metaphor, Kingsport is is sort of a stand-in for human suffering. I get that, okay? Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's an appropriate metaphor, but, but this is it, right? 
God's path is given for our blessing. Like the Bible just repeats this over and over and over again. And, and so I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to tell you how roads work. Okay? And, and, and I know it's also hard to talk about purity because talking about purity hurts. Right, And I know some of you already feel wounded by my words because one of the examples I used is an area where you've already fallen short. I know that, you know, I know. You know, maybe you, you, you're like, why did you mention that? Why are you trying to single me out? I promise I'm not. Here, I, in fact, I want you to know, every example I have used already in this sermon of a place where God's word called us one way and our culture calls us another, every example I used in this sermon, I picked it because it's a place I've fallen short. Not you. It's, it's, it's my list, not your list, okay? And I could have picked a whole bunch of others too. Like I could have just stuck with me and still spent 20 minutes telling you about ways where God words called me one way and I've walked a different way, okay? So I'm not, I'm not picking these to bust your chops, okay? All of us have followed the ways of the world that lead to death. And if you wonder why is everybody walking a different way than Jesus is walking, it's because they're headed to a different destination. This is the way Paul puts it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. See, there is a way to this world. There is a, there is a path to this world. Can we get that up on the screen? I want people to know I'm not making this up, but this is Paul. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. There's, there's a way to this world. There's a path. The ruler of the kingdom of the earth. There's a king of this world. And the king of this world invites us to, to learn the ways of Babylon. He says, let me train you. Let me teach you how to fit in in Babylon, how to rule in Babylon. You can rule in Babylon. And Daniel says, I would rather live like I'm in Judah than rule in Babylon. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. There's a destination. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. I just want to tell you, I could not preach one word about purity if I did not believe that we are saved by grace, okay? We are saved by grace. We are rescued, you know? It's like there's a tow truck on the outskirts of Kingsport saying, are you sure you want to go to Kingsport? You look like you were trying to get to the beach. Why don't I get you turned around, okay? In fact, some of you may even wonder, like, like if we are saved by grace, why should we even bother talking about purity, Right? Why bother to even talk about how do we resist the paths of our culture which lead away from godliness if we're saved by grace? Well, here's why. Because sin is self-destructive and righteousness is a path of blessing. And you were made for a purpose. And when we get turned around on the wrong path, we miss out. Here's what Ephesians says, that same chapter we just read. It says, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to you for you to do. And if you live your life trusting in all the broken compasses, you'll miss out on that. And I don't want to miss that. 
That's the destination I want to reach. No wonder I'll end up walking different directions because I'm aiming for a different destination, you know? I often read advice columns. It's sort of a hobby of mine. I'll read the advice columns of various newspapers. I don't recommend this hobby. I'm not proud of it. It's just a thing that I do. And now, now, I don't read these columns to go looking for advice. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. You'd be better off asking advice from any random person at the mall than reading the advice column. But that's not why I read advice columns. I read it because I am curious, what is the wisdom of the world? What is the advice that the the Babylonian teachers are giving these days to people who live in exile? And I'm gonna tell you the truth, even though I've been doing this for a while, I am always staggered by just how bad the advice is. I'm telling you, most of the time, your best strategy would just be to read whatever advice they have there is and just randomly do whatever feels like the opposite of that. And you have a better chance of getting somewhere meaningful and valuable. It's staggering to me. And I used to be really stumped why the advice was so terrible. And I recently feel like I've just figured out and I've actually sort of changed my heart about it. And it's like, oh, because they're trying to get someplace different than I'm trying to get. That's why they give terrible advice. They're not trying to go the same place I'm trying to go. In fact, then it, it, it makes all the advice suddenly makes sense. It's like, oh, those are actually really good directions if that's where you're trying to go. If that's where you're trying to go, you know. Here's some advice. Uh, from the Bible, First uh, John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, Daniel knew they weren't going to be in Babylon but 70 years. I mean, it was a long 70 years, but Daniel knew. That's why he wasn't making his home in Babylon. Because his home wasn't in Babylon. He was heading to a different destination. And so he was going to walk a different path. So don't be tricked by all the broken compasses. That's a schoolboy's prank. Trick a kid. Got a brand new compass. Works just fine. You throw him, you show him three broken compasses, he'll never trust a good compass ever again. It's easy to get turned around though, isn't it? That list, that's a pretty good list up there. The lust of the flesh and all the advice we get that says you can trust it, you can follow it, you can pursue it. You have those appetites for a reason. Indulge your appetites. The lust of the eyes 
And all the broken compasses say, you could build a life off that. Point your life toward what you want and go get it. The pride of life. Never mind that it will soon pass away. Never mind that what you get out of this life is so temporary, it's barely a whisper. Build a life on that. No wonder people are walking on a different road. They're, uh, they're headed to a different destination. How do you live a life in exile? How do you manage to stay faithful in a culture that does not encourage faithfulness? How do you manage to stay reliable in a culture that does not encourage reliability? How do you manage to stay pure in a culture that does not encourage purity? We could go on and on. How do you manage to stay generous in a culture that does not encourage generosity? Well, Daniel had it right. Daniel had it right. He saw the broken compasses of Babylon. He remembered the compass he was given, and Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel 1.8. That's how you start. And don't you dare underestimate the power in our world of one person who refuses to be defiled. It's a powerful force in our world. One person who says, I get why everybody's walking that way. I recognize the attraction. I myself have explored that path and found it to be quite pleasurable, but I'm going to walk a different way because I am going a different place. Don't underestimate the power of someone who remembers they are in exile and decides to live like it because they are petted for a different home. And it starts with the resolution to stay pure. Let me pray for you. God, I want to rise up and be like Daniel. Protect me from broken compasses of all kinds, God. Even some of the broken compasses I myself have broken. Reorient my life. to you as the path of righteousness, of blessing, of glory, the path that leads me out of exile, the path that finally leads me home. Help me to walk that path. Even if I may walk it alone, let me walk that path, God. This is our prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.